Ecclesiastes 7, we're starting at verse 11. We've finished the first 10 verses. We're going to try to go through the end of the chapter here. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. All right, many, many human beings get inheritances. Loved one dies, leaves them some money, uh, which is scriptural. The Bible says a, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We ought not to be spenders. We ought not to be people who just throw uh, our money away and die penniless as paupers, if possible. Not always possible, but if possible, the Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And, uh, but we've probably all seen people squander those inheritances. I could tell you some stories right now tonight, but I think they're too personal. Uh, of some individuals I knew who received tremendous sums of money by way of inheritance and, and then just squandered it. And um, uh, very, very sad uh, to uh, see them do that. Um, especially when an inheritance should be an extension of your loved one's life, of which we are good stewards of. Uh, so we ought to have wisdom, the Bible says. I hope you're all blessed someday with an inheritance of some sort, but wisdom is good with an inheritance. Don't be foolish uh, with an inheritance. And by it there is profit to them that see the sun. I've seen some of you use your inheritance that you've received very, very wisely. Uh, you've used it to get out of debt. You've used it to pay off homes. You've used it for the Lord's work. And we've, we've had people that have kept this church going by sharing uh, part of their inheritance with the Lord's work from time to time. What a blessing that has been. And, and I believe there's treasures in heaven uh, for people that are like that. Make your inheritance count for God and for others and for yourself. Use your inheritance wisely. Don't use it like the prodigal son who went down not many days after he received it and wasted his money on riotous living. Verse, two, all, uh, verse 12 also talks about wisdom in relationship to money. It says, for wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. We see the superiority of having wisdom over having money. Now, a defense, it means something that somebody is trusting in for their security. And like we trust in the Army and the Navy and the Marines and the Coast Guard and the Air Force. You know, we put our heads on our pillows tonight trusting in the policemen, the local policemen and the sheriffs to you know, keep us safe. That's our defense that gives us security. Well, it says here, wisdom is a defense. A person who is wise and has wisdom uh, can hide behind wisdom, and it can be a source of security to them to know as they go forward in life that with God's help, they're going to make the right decisions and not do foolish things. And money is a defense. Some people put their complete security in money. Uh, they save and save and save, and their whole uh, security and uh, inner peace is dependent upon the status of their money. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life, not money. Wisdom giveth life. 
to them that have it. And so we see, again, a theme that was brought up thoroughly through the book of Proverbs, and that is that wisdom is better than money. Wisdom is better than money. Remember Solomon, he said, uh, God said, ask whatever you want. And he said, I, he prayed for an understanding heart. And the Lord said, good for you. Uh, because you prayed for an understanding heart, I will also give you honor and riches and so on and so forth. Uh, so don't let money be your defense. Don't let it be your security. Let wisdom be your security. That is uh, your trust in the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 13, consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? You know, it's pretty hard to change something once God has done it. Uh, who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Um, you know, just try and go out and straighten a, an oak tree or something. You know, if God made it crooked, it's going to stay crooked. And uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 15, it said this, That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Um, so there's things that God does. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? We need to just consider uh, the work of God. And uh, when God does some things, we can't change it. Uh, so we better be careful uh, that what he's doing and what we're allowing him to do in our lives, I mean, there's situations we can get into that just aren't going to get straightened out. Um, if we're not careful, he'll he'll let you go. I mean, he'll let you make your own decisions and uh, make your own bed, let you lie in it. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, be sorrowful. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Start doing some meditating. Start doing some contemplating. When adversity comes, don't let your first reaction be one of bitterness. Don't let it be one of, you know, how could God let this happen to me? or I quit, or don't go to pieces. Uh, it says here, talk to yourself. Learn from it. Now, don't complain. Now, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Just be thankful. Really, really enjoy the days of prosperity. And those seasons come. For God really blesses you financially and physically and, and spiritually. And days of prosperity, be joyful. But Please remember, according to verse 14, in every one of our lives, there are days of prosperity and there are days of adversity. And notice the rest of the verse, God also hath set the one over against the other. All right, so you or I are not unique if all of a sudden days of adversity come into our lives. It may just be your turn and everybody else is having an easy time, but those that are having an easy time, you keep your eye on them. They're going to have their days of adversity sometime. It's just how it is. Life is full of days of prosperity and days of adversity. And the Bible says, in the days of adversity, consider. Don't quit. Don't complain. Don't go to pieces. Consider. Talk to yourself. Say, what is God trying to show me? 
What is God trying to teach me through this? What, what should I learn uh, through this season of my life of adversity? And, and folks, the best lessons you'll ever learn in life are in the days of adversity, not in the days of prosperity. You'll learn to trust God in the days of adversity. You'll learn patience in the days of adversity. Uh, you'll learn uh, to uh, perfect your faith. Uh, you'll learn long-suffering, all kinds of things that you're going to need the rest of your life will be taught you in the days of adversity. So we ought to thank God for adversity. Uh, Job tried to get that message over to his wife. He said, what shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not also receive evil? His wife didn't understand that concept of God, that God sends evil into our lives sometimes uh, so that we can... Uh, really, really search ourselves and uh, know ourselves, and also so that we can live by faith. Notice the second part of verse 14. God, hath, God also has set the one over against the other. Now here's where faith comes in. Notice this. To the end that man should find nothing after him. Well, there's a humbling thought. God's going to allow things to come into your life that you're never going to find out what, what he's doing or why he did it just so you'll trust him. Friends, if we could figure out everything God has done in our lives or is doing, we wouldn't need faith. So there's times where God, you know, throws us a screwball or something, and just, it makes no sense at all why he would let that happen to me or to you. But it says to the end that man should find nothing after him. It's a humbling thought. But there are things that are going to happen to you, to your marriage, to your family, to your church that aren't going to make any sense at all just so you'll trust in him through those days of adversity. And God's the one that does all this, right in the middle of that verse. God also has set the one over against the other. He's got a calendar for your life. and You're coming up to a date here on your calendar where he's going to say, okay, days of adversity start. All right, here comes a season where you're not going to find out what I'm doing. I'm not telling you. Let's just see you trust me. Let's just see you walk with me through this, even though it's not going to make any sense to you. Let's see you keep walking without quitting. That's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 15, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. I've seen it all, he's saying here. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Here again is something that puzzled Solomon. He's talking here about, in fact, throughout the chapter, we're going to see things that just puzzled him. Here's another one that puzzles him. I can't, he says, I can't understand that a just man perishes in his righteousness, and a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Now, that's not always true. I mean, usually it's the other way. In, in most cases, the righteous outlive the ungodly. Um, that's just what the Bible says. And uh, in uh, uh, Isaiah, if I could just find this here for you, Isaiah chapter um, 57, here's one reason why just people die sometimes at a young age. Isaiah 57, of course, Isaiah followed Solomon, so Solomon never got to read what I'm about ready to read. 
I'm glad we live in this dispensation where we have the complete uh, text. Isaiah would say later in history, the righteous perisheth, that no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away. None considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. So Isaiah says sometimes God takes righteous people and merciful people and lets them die to keep them from the evil to come. And uh, that's, uh, that's just something he does. It's pretty nice of him, isn't it, when you really think about it? to look down at heaven at someone he loves and say, you know, it's going to get real bad here in about five years, and I don't want you to see this. Why don't you come up to heaven and enjoy my presence? It's not that bad, is it? So sometimes the just person does die early, and sometimes the wicked man does prolong his life in his wickedness. It's very rare, though, um, but sometimes it happens. And... Uh, but uh, it, it, it's not usually the way it is. In fact, Psalm 55:23 says, Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. Uh, so, dying's not a bad thing. We think it is. But Romans 6, verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's not too bad, is it? Any of you ever longed to be freed from sin? Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? You know, those of our loved ones that have passed on in Christ, they haven't made. They wouldn't want to come back here now if, if you offered them the world from what they have. It's good for them. I, My wife and I have talked about some things and some of these great preachers that have died over the last 10 years and I was talking to my wife recently, and I said, you know, I'm glad he's not alive to see what's going on in America today. You know, he was such a godly man who tried so hard to save America. I'm just, I'm glad he's not around to see what America's come to today. God spared him from that. Death's not such a bad thing for us, folks. Verse 16, be not righteous overmuch. Now, we're going to compare five people here in verses 16, 17, and 18. Let me read it, and then we'll go back. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. I want you to notice five people, the person who's over much wicked, the person who's over much, I'm sorry, verse 16, the person who's over much righteous, the person who's over much wise, third and verse 17, the person who's over much wicked, the person who's over much foolish, and then verse 18 the person that shall come forth of them all. In other words, the, the cream rises to the crop, the one that rises up above all these other four. So let's look at the four, first of all. Verse 16, be not righteous over much. Well, isn't that an interesting statement to be found in the Bible? Be not righteous over much. 
Let me explain what I think this means. I've met people who are too good to attend any church. There's no church good enough for them to attend it. Because they're so righteous, and I put that in quotes, or as this text here says, overmuch righteous. Then there's those that are overwise. They know everything. You can't teach them anything. Why should they sit under your ministry? They know more than you do. They know it all. They don't need to be taught. But notice what happens to these people. Why shouldest thou destroy themselves? They destroy themselves. They destroy themselves. We need to be careful about our attitude that we never think we're too good. That's the first person in verse 16. Or too smart. I've seen this happen. I knew a man that was too good to go to any church. Any church he went to, immediately he saw flaws in it. The pastor's preaching was wrong. The standards were wrong. These people, they were hypocrites and so on and so forth. No church was good enough for him. And he got out on an island all by himself. You know, he was the only one left. Elijah's syndrome. Might as well slay me, Lord. I'm the only one left uh, that's right with you anymore. And God brought him down. I mean, he... uh, He ended up in some really bad situations. He fell a lot farther than he ever thought he was possible to fall. We're warned against that in Ecclesiastes. We read earlier in the book, it says, Woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. Like it or not, we need the church. We need each other. We need fellowship. We need to be able to hold each other up and lean on each other sometimes. We're not supposed to be out there as an island. And uh, this fellow fell and fell and fell and fell and fell, and finally he got in touch with me. He didn't know what to do. He's from another state. And I told him, brother, you need to get into a church somewhere. I don't care how bad the church is. I don't care how good if the church is bad. Get in there and make it better. Uh, get involved. And he's, 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 he's taken my word, and he's, he's had many, many successful years lately. But he just got to be that place where he was so much better that there was no church good enough for him. And he almost destroyed himself, almost ended up in prison. Uh, he, he went down so fast and so far. Um, but God needed to humble him. And then there's those that are overwise. They, they, they know everything. They don't even have to open the Bible. They don't have to study. They know it all. Uh, one man told me last year he didn't need to come on Wednesday nights because he studied Proverbs. He read through it seven times, he said. Boy, did he, what, a, what a train wreck he, he, he became. What a train wreck of a human being he became. I said, brother, I read it 72 times with my wife at the kitchen table. I still need to study it. Yeah, what, a, what a train wreck his life was. He's overwise. I know it all. I don't need to go on Wednesday nights. Why should I start destroy yourself? Then there's those that are overmuch wicked. Overmuch wicked. You know, the Bible says there is a sin unto death. It says, why shouldest thou die before thy time? Being overmuch wicked and overmuch foolish can cause somebody to die before their time. Uh, sometimes you hear people unwisely say, well, it was just his time. No, maybe it wasn't his time. It says very clearly right here in verse 17 that some people die before their time, and it's those who are overmuch wicked, and those who are just foolish. 
over much wicked and, and just, just foolish. Uh, you've probably seen somebody in your life, maybe in your relationship, drink themselves to death. Or use drugs. Or just do something foolish. I went to school with a, a friend one time. He was at a party and he out at a park and he got drunk. He got too close to a cliff. Fell 150 feet. Died. 18 years of age. 18 years of age. Uh, died. Now, somebody could say, well, it must have been his time. No, God didn't put on his calendar, okay, this guy's going to get drunk and fall over a cliff on such and such a date. Some people die before their time. The Bible says there is a sin unto death. First John 5:16 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. There is a line that a person can cross where God is finally fed up with that human being, and they're over much wicked, and God takes them out. No warning, he just takes them out. Some people are, die because of foolishness. Um, and many examples could be given here. Somebody goes down the road drunk driving or something. I've done three funerals of men who've been hit on train tracks. And uh, sad things, all young men, very young men. One guy tried to beat the train with his bicycle riding across the track. Uh, that wasn't his time. Some people die before their time. Verse 18 says, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. In other words, what I just shared with you, Solomon is saying about these four people, take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. Keep these principles in mind. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Who's the cream of the crop? Who's the one that's going to rise up above the overmuch righteous person, the overmuch wise person, the overmuch wicked person, the overmuch foolish person? Who's going to rise to the cream, the cream of the crop and uh, over them all? The person that fears God. The person, he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. And uh, so don't, uh, don't envy the wicked. And don't ever get to the place where you're, you think you're so good or so smart that you don't need the Lord, you don't need fellowship, and you don't need the Bible anymore. And, and uh, you can end up destroying yourself. So verse 19 says, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. Uh, so wisdom, that is inner strength, uh, inner knowledge is, is more important than outer strength, than physical strength. Uh, you need to, to whip yourself into spiritual strength by learning wisdom. That's more important than having ten mighty men that are in the city. Verse 20, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Here in verse 20 we see human perfection is universal. This is a good verse to use when soul winning to back up Romans 3.23 where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Also, verse 21, Take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Don't listen to what everybody's saying. You want to drive yourself nuts? 
Listen to what everybody's saying about you. The Bible says don't do that. Don't listen to what everybody is saying about you. Um, also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. I can't believe he would curse me. I hired him. I pay him. He works for me. I've been so good to him. Well, he's a human being, isn't he? He's a sinner and he can't bridle his tongue no more than you can, or I can. That's why the next verse says, For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. Okay? So, don't be bothered if people say bad things about you because you've said bad things about other people. And so have I. So don't think you're immune to it. You're not immune to the effects of the human tongue, okay? Somebody's going to badmouth you. Just, you, you, you can't let that stop you. can't believe they said that. Why can't you believe it? It's right here in the Bible. <laughs> I think Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Well, you ought to hear some bad words about yourself once in a while or something's not right. So, so don't be shocked. Boy, that person's a good church member and they said that about me. I can't believe it. Why not? Why does it surprise us when sinners sin? That's what sinners do. Only perfect people can bridle their tongues. That's what the Bible says. Look, the man's a perfect man that can bridle his tongue. So We've done the same thing. Verse 22, For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. Write down Romans 2 and verse 1 next to that. It says this, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Isn't that the truth? Now, usually the people we despise the most are the ones who are the most like us. They have the same faults we have. You check it out sometime. You got the same faults we have. Verse 23, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? So he's talking here about the futility of trying to learn wisdom in the flesh, learn wisdom through human reasoning. It, it, wisdom has to be imparted to us by God. When he says, I will be wise, he said, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to do it all on my own. Don't need God. But it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? Only God can. Uh, he searches out the deeper things of life and the deeper matters of life. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. If you want to learn about the wise things, Verse 23, and the deep things and the things that are far off, verse 24, you can only find those out from knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord. I, well, I want to encourage you to read the Bible every day. Read the Bible in your home. And you, some of you young couples, read the Bible together. And God will show you wonderful things. Verse 25, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. 
and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of fools, foolishness and madness. So he's going back to the days when he had left God, left the wisdom God had given him in Proverbs and how he was going to try to figure it all out, what, what makes uh, you know, things go on in life. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. I'm going to just try to figure out in my flesh why things happen, why there's this wickedness of folly and of foolishness and madness, why are people crazy. I'll, I'll get into psychiatry and psychology and all those things, and I'm going to really get into man and figure it all out. But it was also futile. Now, uh, ladies, it gets kind of rough the rest of the chapter on you here, uh, so don't blame me now, all right? I'm just going to read what it says. Hey, man, I'm not trying to be anyone's enemy tonight, but it's not a pretty picture. Of course, Solomon, he had woman problems, didn't he? Uh, he tried out about a thousand of them, and uh, none of them worked. Um, he says this, though, and this is... This is, uh, this is a good observation, especially for you unmarried men. He says, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Here's some great advice for unmarried men. It says there's certain women out there that just are a snare. They're a trap. Picture a trapped animal. My neighbor catches these chipmunks in her trap. Picture fish in a net. Picture her hands as bands. Picture a man tied up. That's the goal of some women. Uh... They, they just want to capture a man. They don't want to help him or support him or encourage him to do the will of God and fulfill God's purpose in life. They just want to capture him. And uh, I, I've, I've stressed this. I know I stressed this to, to my son when I talked to him and so on and so forth. I said, you've you got, you got to find a woman to marry who is going to help you and assist you reach your potential for God in your life. This church would not exist today if it wasn't for Leslie Cole. It would not be in existence. If I had married the girl I had wanted to marry growing up, this church would not be in existence because I would have never she has given me the freedom to serve God. And she has never opposed me. She's never stopped me. She's never whispered a discouraging word. And, and young ladies, if you think a husband is, is a man to trap so you can have a possession, please do not get married. If that man related to you has not been freed to serve the Lord and, and accomplish the will of God and, again, reach his full potential for God, you're a failure as a wife. You're a failure. 
And maybe he's not interested in God's will, but that should be your goal. God created you to help man. That's why you were made, according to Genesis chapter 3, to help a man fulfill the will of God in your life. If you ever get married or remarried, ladies, find a man that, 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 that your purpose for existence is going to be to assist him to become all God wants him to be. Or don't get married. Don't, don't, get a man in a, don't put a man in a trap. Don't put a man in a snare. Don't tie a man's hands up spiritually. I know men like that. I know men who would go all out for God if it wasn't for one thing, their wife. They go all out for God. If it wasn't for one thing, she thinks she owns him. You're not going to do this, and you're not going to do that, and you're not going to, why do you always got to go to church, and why do you want to get involved in that, why why you don't spend enough time with me? She snares and nets and bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape her. Tough stuff, but that might... uh, Help some people marry the right people. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. First Corinthians 11. Verses 8 and 9. The man was not created for the woman. She's not supposed to trap him. She's not supposed to put him in a a net. She's not supposed to tie him up. But the woman was for the man. The sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one, to find out the account. Well, this isn't too great on the men either, ladies, so... Verse 28, I'll quit torturing you here. Which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Poor Solomon. Now keep in mind, Ecclesiastes, like the book of Job, is oftentimes just the record of a man's words, not necessarily Holy Spirit you know, inspired spiritual truth. It's just the Holy Spirit recording the words of one man. Solomon, first woman he married was, uh, whose daughter was it? Uh, huh? Egyptian. I mean, right from the start he was wrong. And then he went and married all these other women of all these other countries. And he was only supposed to marry one Jewish girl. What God's plan was. So he was all over the place right from the start. He was all messed up. And he was bitter right here because it says in the book of Nehemiah, even Solomon did outlandish women cause the sin. I mean, he, a lot of this isn't woman's fault. This was Solomon's fault. Remember, the book of Ecclesiastes is an account of his life when he was away from God, not when he was walking with God. 
So he's marrying all these heathen women, and then he's complaining about them. Well, not one of them helped me. So don't take verse 28, ladies, as just uh, as some kind of a scriptural truth that you're all worthless or something. All right? It's just Solomon. He just, he had women problems. Some men have women problems. Boy, do they mess up their lives. Verse 29, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. In other words, God made man good, we wrecked it. We wrecked it. Don't blame God. We wrecked it. And uh, he, uh, he said, you know, man just is an inventor of evil things. Romans 1.30 says man is an inventor of evil things. We studied that Sunday on homartiology. Uh, man has taken evil, activated it, mobilized it, and thereby invented many evil things. Um, and so God made man good. Let's never forget that, verse 29. God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So Solomon, uh, he, he was kind of messed up there. This, this whole life, or this whole chapter, was a lot of things that had really puzzled him in life. I feel sorry for a guy like that never to have a good wife, and uh, just uh, to look into the world and psychology and psychiatry to try to figure out all the answers to things and just never, never find anything out, never be fulfilled. But ladies, don't, don't be a, a, a trap to men. Don't be a, a net. Don't, don't try to snare a man into marriage and then what you got, no, he's mine. I'm not sharing it with anybody. I think Leo Tolstoy was the one who said that that's one of the wickedest things he's ever seen in the world. There's two people who get married and then isolate themselves from the world and from God's work, and they never minister together in helping others. God is supposed to bring us together to be helpmates to do his work. And his work is people. His work is others. Not to marry somebody and then hibernate somewhere the rest of your life. Uh, and just, he's mine. Don't be a snare. Don't be a net. Don't be a band. But, but you know, Leslie's given me more freedom. My relationship to her has given me more freedom to serve the Lord. I'm, God, I'm glad God stopped me from my plans back when I was a kid growing up turned my heart away from that person toward Leslie and uh, I really don't believe this church would exist or anything that's ever been accomplished one for one person, Leslie Cole Amen Well there's some things to think about Let's pray Father we pray now that our hearts would be not offended for thy word says they that love your law, nothing shall offend them. That we wouldn't have little feelings, but we'd be big people. And Lord, I pray for all the unmarried ladies here. That they would dedicate themselves tonight to helping, if they ever get married, a man do God's will. And Lord, Solomon said he only found one good man out of a thousand. Earlier he said, a faithful man who can find. I thank you for the faithful men in church tonight here. 
Help them to continue to be faithful right to the end, though others might be given up around us. Lord, help us to be faithful unto death so we can receive a crown of life. And Lord, we just pray that, that uh, you'd help us. To, I know some tonight are in their days of adversity. And you do this so that no man can find out what you're doing. So we're forced to live by faith. Help us to trust in you no matter what we're going through. And even if we never get an answer for why we're going through what we're going through, help us to trust in you to the end. Now bless our service tonight, our prayer and praise time in Jesus' name. Amen.